0: Hello, you're listening to a Zen Studies Society podcast. To learn more about our community of Zen Buddhist practitioners, please visit zenstudies.org. Shōmon Kato shū, tai shitsunai itto, kyori nonzenji soto, Ikaganaruka ganaru shitsunai no to. Aniwaq, three kiyosho, shite, betsu ni nasu. Entangling vines, case forty-one. The lamp in the room. A monk asked Kyorin Chouan, "What is the single lamp in the room?" Kyorin replied, "If three people testify to it." The terrapin becomes a soft shell. Good evening on this rohatsu day. We are nearing prime time of our eight days. The time for soap operas has passed. It is getting serious. But before I speak about this, I would like to express my deep gratitude to Shingiroshi to Edo Roshi, to Soen Roshi, Yamamoto Genpo, Sasaki Joshuro Daishi, all the teachers who have twisted my life into a way that I am sitting here now and uh, being declared the no rank vice abbot, which I'm very (laughs) happy about, that nobody should think it has anything to do with achievement. It is yet uh, the next step of demotion on the Zen path. When you really enter the Zen path in, in a formal way, you sign up for a job in which you get progressively demoted. My first teacher, Genro Roseon, who was a student of Kyozan Joshu Roshi, and who I met in Austria in 1982, which is just yesterday in, in my recollection. He expressed it to me already then, saying that, you know, what's at the end of this path if you decide to get ordained? Toilet paper. If you're lucky, you will reach the toilet paper stage, where you will be pliable enough, clean enough, and you let everybody wipe themselves with you, and you help them. It's a wonderful expression. There's nothing gross about it. Uh, it's, it's, It's a bodhisattva path. But I want to give out a warning to all of you. Be careful what you ask for. In 1989, during one Doksan encounter during Kese at Mount Baldy Zen Center in uh, California, it's just a few miles outside of Los Angeles in the San Gabriel Mountains, and it's called Mount Baldy because it's the only mountain, it's Mount San Antonio, 10,064 feet high. And it's the only mountain in the range that goes above the tree line. So it's Mount Baldy. How fitting. And there's an old Boy Scout camp there that has been the training center for Joshu Roshi's uh, monastic uh, enterprise, we could say, since 1972. So in his little sanzen room, his cabin was smaller than the Dharma Hall. Maybe... Not even a third as big. And he lived there. And it was his workroom too. The Doksan room, the Sanzan room was right there. And I made the fateful mistake to say, Roshi, maybe one day in the distant future when you think that this person asking you here. Might be ready to be ordained, please consider. And it met his immediate refusal of, oh, oh, no. He looked at me and he said, Thursday. (laughs) 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 What? (laughs) Thursday. Ding a ling a ling a ling (laughs) a ling. So be warned. Be careful, but it is, it is wonderful to, to have encountered this tradition and to have had a natural transition from one of the Rinzai teachers who came to America to unknowingly or knowingly pick up where Nyoga and Senzaki had left off four years earlier in Los Angeles. And not only that, but to arrive on July 21st, which is of course, Mandala Day. And to continue the Rinzai practice here in America. And to come from that teacher who passed away in 2014 at the age of 107. And to have the fortune to find yet another living Rinzai tradition with Shingiroshi as the living ancestor carrying this lamp is something that is really rare and uh, I don't know how it happened. But we know about in and and, uh, dharma connections that are not visible, but that just work the way they work. And so it happened that I became the abbot of the Cambridge Buddhist Association in 2004. that happened also just because one day at, at Rinzaiji in Los Angeles, a good friend of ours, Kigen Osho, Seigaku Kigen Osho, who was the vice abbot at Rinzaiji, he he used to practice with Shukosan at the Cambridge Buddhist Association. And he said one day to her, Oh, I'm gonna move to Los Angeles. That was after Maureen Stewart. Myo on Chiko Zenni had passed away. And so Shuko san said to him, Oh, you have to go and see Joshu Roshi. Hey, I don't need another teacher. But then, of course, Kian Osho ended up studying at Mount Bali. And now the funny thing is, he is the abbot of the Rinzai Zendo in Vienna. So you have an American Osho be the abbot of a European Zendo. It's a wonderful thing to happen. And he said, oh, you, why, why don't you go? There's nobody at the Cambridge Buddhist Association. Just go and take it over. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, we thought, no, there's, this is not, not even possible. And so we just contacted them, and we spoke. Yeah, when, when can you come? And so we continued... The practice of the kai at the Cambridge Buddhist Association, which is almost uh, equal age to uh, 1957, 1958, founded by the same set of characters. In this case, uh, Shinichi Hisamatsu, and of course Daisetsu Suzuki, who were on this tour through the United States. and. They spent time at Columbia. They spent time at Harvard. And so this trail had certain dharma consequences. And the foundation of the Cambridge Buddhist Association was one of them. So, and in 2010 came an email saying, well, I'd like to visit my son in the Boston area. Would would you be willing to host me? I am an old student of <laughs> of uh, Maureen Stewart and it was of course Shingi Roshi who wrote and of course it was our privilege to host her and so it was uh, January 10th 2011 that Shigeroshi came and stayed over and she gave a teisho and At that time, it it felt like, okay, that was a nice visit. (laughs) (laughs) But this is not how it turned out then. Joshu Roshi eventually retired from teaching. At that time, already he was 104. He was still giving session. And I felt that, well, The last thing that Joshu Roshi said to Shuko-san and me in the last kind of Sanzen's always was, never, never stop practicing. Never, never stop practicing. So I had to look to continue. And well, if it meant to start with a new place, do something completely new, it doesn't matter. So I asked Shingya if she would be willing to take me on yet another piece of baggage. That's how one feels sometimes, asking for things like that. And she was very gracious. Thank you, Roshi. And after that, I came here the first time in 2013. And the, it was the most important experience, I would say, in my training as a monk. Because it's like going to visit the cousins. Everything looks very similar, you know, but it tastes a little different. <laughs> but it was so wonderful to see this is 99.9% of the same dharma dna and it is alive there are other stories i won't tell them you have to read the book about the daibosatsu zendo's 40th anniversary because when i showed up here the first time my first teacher genro osho he died from cancer in 2009 well i'll tell the story anyway (laughs) He, Joshua Roshi could not fly to Austria anymore it was just too much to be on the plane at at that age 102 years old to give Sesshin so they decided to fly all the Europeans over to rinzai and they came 25, 30 of them it was really a weird thing in the middle of Los Angeles near uh, USC, next to the Adams Library, people speaking German, wearing robes, (laughs) hitting each other with sticks, you know? And so Genro was there. And one day, he asked me at lunchtime to come and visit him in his room, and I went there. And he had this stack of robes. All kinds of fancy stuff, finery. You know, Japanese robes can be very, very expensive. And so he said, well, I want to give this away. I w- why don't you take it? And I said, oh, yeah, oh, thank you. That's very kind of you. But you know, Joshu Roshi, uh, if your Raksu doesn't look black, he yells at you. So you shouldn't have any of that stuff. He doesn't want us to use it. It's not necessary. But, and so it went back and forth and finally we ended up in negotiations he had this one green case he said I want you to have this and he was my first teacher and I owed him a lot and so I said of course I, I will graciously accept your gift but I cannot promise that I will be able to wear it he was very happy about it it was October 2008 his cancer got so much worse over the year that in 2009 he passed away. And just before he passed away, he sent me a, a letter and he said, Oh, yeah, I forgot to tell you something about that green kesa. You know, I wore that in when I traveled with Joshu Roshi to the opening of Daibu Zendo. So... If you go in the, in the meeting room, there's a picture of all the people who were here for the opening of Daibosatsu Zendo, And in the background, there stands Gandra smiling. It's a black and white photo, so you can not see, but he's wearing that green kesa. And of course, it's also a manifestation of Joshu Roshi's teaching because it is a winter kesa. So it is very hot. So his student got to wear the fancy thing, but it had to be so hot that he was uncomfortable. <laughs> so and then I sit in this seat here giving it the first Dharma talk I was invited to give wearing that same green Kesa that used to belong to Joshua Roshi that was on the body of my first Zen teacher in this very location on July 4th 1976 returning 38 years later on the body of another person from Austria it is inexplicable you know these are things we cannot untangle but what we can is we can let them be what gives us the energy to fulfill our vows this is an invitation from the universe, from the activity of Dharma for someone who is receptive to us to act in concord with what is being asked. Satsu Zendo is a home. When you come in in the Genka on the right hand side there is a four character phrase. It says Maho Roba which means this is the spiritual home of everybody who practices here so i'm deeply grateful and if i can serve in whatever way from toilet paper to kanji shitstick, shit stick or whatever is needed uh Please help yourselves. <laughs> One more note about the Cambridge Buddhist Association. Every time you hear the dance show that is hung inside, when the Cambridge Buddhist Dis- Association sold the house at 75 Spark Street, that Elsie Mitchell who came from the Johnson family of Fidelity Investments, purchased for the CBA. She was about to pass away, so the house was sold. Shuko-san and I received a lot of the equipment, so to speak, and the stencho is part of it. The sound of the practice at the CBA continues to ring alive at Daibu Satsuzendo every time it is struck. So continuation of activity of Dharma. And subhuti why? Because of all of you. Because you come here. Because you are also answering the invitation of the universe to listen to that that is drawing you to look more carefully into this innermost heart of our humanity. So, and it's a privilege to do it all together. While our functions may differ, this is the manifestation of the one essence that we all carry. And this is a good way to go into this wonderful core. It's very short this time, very short. A monk asked Kyorin Chon, what is the single lamp in the room? <clears throat> Kyorin replied, if three people testify to it, a terrapin becomes a soft shell. Those are turtles. It's like saying a hard shell turtle turns into a soft shell turtle. The person. Kyorin Chowon lived from 908 until 987 and appears in two cases in this Katoshu entangling vines. He was a native of Mianzhu, which is modern Sichuan. He was ordained at the age of 16 and went on a long pilgrimage that finally took him to the monastery up high where the cloud gate was Umon Bunen Zenji. After succeeding Umon's Dharma, Kyorin Chowon resided at the temple Kyorin In, which means Fragrant Forest Temple, on a mountain, also in Sichuan. He was one of the teachers of the Umon style, the Umon school, which later disappeared. He taught, and this is an interesting thing, at that time already, not just ordained students, but in his 40 years of teaching, he also taught lay students, male and female. That is not something to be taken for granted. So... Yesterday, we heard from Hakuin, about Hakuin, and Shingiroshi did mention that Hakuin didn't feel well. He suffered from Zen sickness. And I was able to find this interesting quote here uh, about Kyorin. Kyorin was once asked the traditional question, what is the meaning of Bodhidharma coming east? Which is in a way asking what is the meaning of Zen, why, what's the purpose of it? And he replied, it's not good for one's health to sit too long. (laughs) So if you feel that way too, at times when you're sitting there, Uh, anything in excess can turn into a poison. Bodhidharma was a very special person engaging in kūnen mempeki, nine years facing the wall. Extraordinary. Not recommended. So... We have to learn to practice healthily, not too long, not too short. But we learn that this is not a quantitative undertaking, but it is the cultivation of a quality of practice, a quality of life, a quality of response to this call that we all hear. Has anyone entered this practice because they heard about awakening well this is rohatsu it's the awakening session and it's a very special one never never would have I have thought well of course everything hurts yeah on this day everything hurts but I'm still amazed that I would have never expected the top of my ears to hurt because we are wearing masks. It's a completely new experience. You think you have all the flavors of pain and... <gasps> oh, look, there's something new. It's Oh, it's never boring. It's never boring if you practice in that kind of a way. But awakening, oh, yeah, we want all to awaken. There comes some kind of promise with awakening. It reminds me of, of, of some people, oh, awakening sounds like a, maybe I can take a vacation uh, from the troubles of my life. When I awaken, all of them will go away. We heard the song yesterday, right? Right. All the hindrances are gone, you know, and... and It sounds like like an advertisement for for a full-service resort on an ocean with a beach, you know? And it says on the advertisement, it says, all included. Just sign up here. It's free. A small fee applies. We get ready. We pack everything up. We go on to this journey. Off we go. And guess what the first thing we encounter is? Well, there are 50 million other people going there. We are stuck in traffic. And the question begins, are we there yet? (laughs) Are we there yet? How far is it? What does the GPS say? You took the wrong turn. And finally, we arrive at the resort. It looks great. A sign pronounces under new management. <laughs> you go in, you meet the manager, a really nice guy. He said, Oh, just call me Raj. <laughs> oh, Raj. Yeah, I just started here before I was the Raja of Kalinga. <laughs> You go outside, you see the sign. The hotel is called Hotel Dukkha. <laughs> and there is a sign to the beach of the sea of samsara. So this is what it might feel like sometimes. But it is not the destination. It is the journey that makes it. And. Awakening will not turn out to be a vacation that will absolve us from all. It's not salvation, you know. It's called awakening. And this here is the question of this koan. What is the single lamp in the room? We heard from Hokuto Sensei about the Atta Dipa, Viharata, Atta Sarana, which was Shakyamuni Buddha's answer to His student, Ananda, asking, world honored one, what shall we do when you pass away? Because you were just fed some poisoned meat. And he said, well, you are the light. He didn't say, oh, yeah, Ananda, you're in charge. No, he pointed to, you got to do it yourself. And. That is really important to know. Atta so what is that light? When we sit here in Zazen, we clarify. We learn to see clearer, you know? But we have to be careful still. Now here comes the story that some of you have heard already. I have a lot of different glasses because I have a ter- terrible difference between the two eyes. And I didn't find out until I was doing poorly in school. Oh, no wonder he, he's doing so poorly because he can't see. <laughs> <laughs> okay, sent him to the eyeglass t- eye shop and to the doctor, and I got the prescription. And my glasses were ready. I, I went. I picked them up. I put them on. This is what the world looks like. And everything was so clear. I was so happy. I walked through the town I had lived in for a long time, and I walked into a pole. (laughs) (laughs) Bang! My glasses were bent. I had to turn around, go to the eyeglass shop, and have them repaired. So this goes to say if you expect that clear vision will save you from walking into poles, it will not. So this is this is the footnote, the disclaimer on awakening. The disclaimer on awakening is if you look outside, you know, it's supposed to be clear. This is like pea soup out there. It's really beautiful. Yeah, but the worst thing that could happen to you is if you go outside and you turn on a bright light. Because then you know what? You don't see anything. You don't see anything. So awakening is something that also needs to be cultivated and needs to be understood in its proper conditionality. It sounds like an event, you know. Somebody had awakening. The flip of the switch, bang, the light goes on. Yeah, but you don't know where you find yourself. Like in this case, you might find yourself in a room. The light goes on, and you see. But be assured, you might not like what you see. Suddenly seeing means seeing as things are. Suffering. You see injustice, discrimination, violence, and as the Buddha taught us, old age, sickness and death. That is what awakening entails, seeing that and Law enforcement puts these signs out, and it could be a Dharma sign. If it were just a little altered, instead of see something, say something, it is see something, do something. So awakening is no guarantee that you will like what you see. It will be, there's a rawness to it to see all of that because suddenly we see clearly what that suffering is. We see clearly what the roots for injustice, for discrimination and for violence is because we have seen those seeds and roots in ourselves. It might be that in this room, this is a growing light. We don't want to end up growing pot you know, and getting stoned with a spiritual bypassing, oh, ah, this sounds good, you know. Uh, But we have to use that light to also go and investigate deeper what we see clearer. It's a wonderful thing. But, again, it is like the invitation that Shingeroshi Extended to me to serve in this capacity. It requires a response. It requires dedication and the vow to fully respond, even if we don't like what our awakening shows us. So we have that single light in the room, in all of us. isan no to, the single light in the room. We heard from Hokuto sensei, the lamp is the body, the light is the function. And here in our Rinzai practice, I would like to make a few comments and Point us to that how our body in the Rinzai practice is so important because we are talking a lot but in the end what we want to do is embody, embody, that's how we answer every morning Bodhisattva's vow, followed by the general echo that contains the line, so that we and all beings, how does it go? So that we and all beings, anyone remember? Together. Yeah, let's do it together. So that we and all beings together we attain purity in Buddha's wisdom. And that wisdom has the two aspects of realization and actualization. We heard that, we we recite that as well, realize and actualize. Our sitting, our walking, our standing, all of these are opportunities to embody. And last night we encountered one of the walking, breathing, chanting, being careful in the dark practice of not walking into walls, not tripping on sharp boards of the floor and following and leading at the same time. The Takuhatsu practice of chanting Ho, Ho, the character Ho, for Dharma. it's very difficult to chant whole in the way that the monks would do it out in the street wearing masks and if we try to chant really loud we will starve ourselves from oxygen and some people have reported physical trouble with it and that's why I would like to make the point that the monks don't go out there the the louder you yell ho, the more rice you will be donated no the more you chant it with your heart and the more you have to call of the dharma be as it is without forcing it so it is perfectly okay to not belt it out especially with masks If you can do it, you know what? Go for it. But take it easy. This practice also sometimes, we should not mistake, it's not athletic. It seems like athletic. It's more like yoga, you know? It's more like yoga with a slight difference. I mean, you assume the posture and then you don't move for 45 minutes. (laughs) But it's a stillness in it that, to me, brings me back to the light. Most cultures think that the powerful is loud. Look at Harley Davidson, the sound of freedom. It's also the sound of ego, you know? But the sun. The sunshine, the light, powerful to make all this life possible is absolutely silent. You can feel it. And it's here. This is, this is Dharma. This is Dharma that's all around us. It's not the Schwartz. It's not the force. It is Dharma. And it comes out in our chanting. We can do it very softly if we connect it, if we transmit that energy of the Dharma. In this case it It shows in our breath, you know. It's very easy with the chanting of Ho because there is nothing to read. You don't have to take your books for that. It's one syllable with a long vowel. And it is breath practice at the same time to have a gentle breath and have an elongated exhalation. And then take your time to inhale so that you have enough oxygen to not get lightheaded, to not feel your heart pounding, or have any kind of other discomfort. That's not what it's meant to be there. So you can chant very quietly Ho. Let's try to do that very quietly, one Ho all together. Oh. So please take that with you tonight, when we do the whole chanting. Rinzai practice is embodiment. We are learning about the path of non-duality. Not this, not that. And kasho is that manifestation of non-duality. So, when we do Gassho, that's the embodiment of, first of all, giving our little self fully to this very, not only moment, it is is the manifestation of that vow, and it is absolute presence. So, Gassho is one of those places we can learn to embody non-duality in the walking in our way how we move not through space but with space what kind of traces do we leave that our ego imposes it's ego is that little thing that likes to say i'm still here and when you you think when you think it's gone yeah it's like that spirit that showed up still here and it takes very very subtle forms very subtle forms be open when you eat be open when you eat and listen carefully i want more I don't like this taste. All kinds of things you will hear. And it's okay, you know. We don't have to respond. It is a function that just functions. But the trouble only comes when we turn it into an identity. And we believe it. I need more. No, I don't like that taste. So not leaving traces audibly, not leaving traces physically. Walking, being present, and not being there anymore, and there's no disturbance left behind. There is no more wonderful way to live than that. You all know and f- have, have probably had that feeling, standing in front of this pristine field of snow. I have to walk through that. So we leave traces. But practice brings us to a different point of view. If we could, we would just become and appreciate, without having to stamp, ego was here. So the embodiment in the practice, in the drinking tea, there is such an important lesson in doing things full-heartedly and fully engaged with our bodies. You know, when we sit our... The balance of both sides coming together in the mudras and sitting up straight. All of that we can bring into our movements. When we drink tea, you know, we don't drink like this. That's how you drink in a bar. It's a very different feeling. No, go to a bar and take the beer or whatever you have to, and you go like <laughs> You'll get a reaction, too. So that is the lesson about doing the appropriate thing, the appropriate embodiment in the appropriate place when it calls you to do something. So please keep that not only in your mind, but in your physicality. Move with the intention that is the intention that comes from our vow to lessen our ego footprint. Carbon footprint is a succession to ego footprint. The less ego footprint we have, the more we can help this world and to attend to that what we see when the light is on. Suffering, injustice, discrimination, violence, old age, sickness, death. But also beauty, kindness, wholeheartedness, health, really, all of it we can see. The non-duality does not mean that there is no light and darkness. That's really an important point to take also from this koan. It does not mean there is not light and not darkness. They, they are there. But they don't oppose each other. And that is a very, very big difference, you know. Opposition to what is, it is foggy. To what is creates that what is not such. We create mental objects, emotional objects, by opposing. Suchness, tatata, shingyo. And of course, these emotional mental objects seem to be real. But they are conditions. We create conditions that then drive these little vortices that make the activity of inga, of cause and effect, work. Non-duality does not mean there is no distinction, there is no light, there is no darkness. But when it is light, it is just light. When it is dark, it is just dark. And Inga is the motor, the driver, the energy that moves the activity of impermanence, is our faith that it's not going to remain. The only thing it will remain is thus, whatever comes. So this monk asking, what about that light? Of course, this little light of mine, we all have to let it shine. Is it not shining? Oh yes, it is shining. Our existence, our being here is the physical shining of that light. Nothing has to be added. We just have to learn to appropriately appropriately guard it where it needs to be guarded, but to otherwise let it shine and let it out. Kiorin asked the question about the single lamp in the room. If three people testified to it, so it's described if you look at the Chinese characters, it it indicates that these people are talking at the same time like a chorus. Three different things. Very hard to understand. Three different opinions about it turns a hard shell turtle into a soft shell turtle. It is one of those pointers that, well, you can't talk about it. You can't talk about it. And it also means that each of those three people has their own light. Does it sound familiar like a corn? Everybody has their own light. None is better. None is worse. They are all luminous. Each of the three people can only testify to their own light. And that light that Siddhartha testified to when he saw the morning star on day eight is that light that we all follow, that has led us here to sit down, to endure at times unknown physical, emotional, spiritual pain, but also leads us here to meet the teaching teaches us that this motion that creates this friction that we experience as painful is motion is motion that allows us to continue to move to live to mature and to develop deeper compassion clearer vision and a more acute sense how to appropriately answer the call of the Dharma. Thank you for being here. This has been a Zen Study Society podcast. If you found it to be of interest, please consider making a donation by visiting zenstudies.org donate.